Welcome to our class on Chassidus. We're going to be learning this week a beautiful Chassidic discourse from the Rebbe. The name of the Chassidic discourse is called by Yiyu Chayi Soro. The Rebbe said this Chassidic discourse on Wednesday night, the night before the th- Thursday, in the parsha of Chayi Soro, which that year was Chav Cheshven, the birthday of the Rebbe Rashab, in the year Tavshin Memhei, 37 years ago. In honor of Chav Cheshven, again the birthday of the Rebbe Rashab, in the year Tavshin Nun Aleph, 31 years ago, the Rebbe went on to certify and edit this Chassidic Discourse. So again, the Chassidic Discourse is based on the verse, Vayiyu Chaye Soro. It was the life of Soro, and the Torah spells out, Meya Shono, Soro lived for a hundred years, Ve'esrim Shono, and for twenty years, Sheva Shonim, and for seven years, a total of 127 years, Shnei Chaye Sora, this was the years of the life of Sora. So the Rebbe Rashab, um, who was the, the his birthday is, is, is Chav Cheshven, <coughs> in the Hasidic discourse, based on this verse, in the in the year of Ateres, 103 years ago, so he asked the question as follows, the verse opens up and it says, It was the life of Sarah. And then it says, A hundred years, twenty years, seven years. So what is the verse ending by saying, This is the years of the life of Sarah. We know already we were talking about the life of Sarah. And it already spells out the years of the life of Sarah. So the Rebbe Hashab explains this, based on what it says in the Zohar. The Zohar says as follows, Why is it unique to Sarah Imenu, that in reference to Sarah, the Torah tells us the years of her life, which we don't find this by any other than matriarchs. What's the reason, the Zohar says? So the Zohar says as follows, because Sarah went down. Where did she go down? She went down to the land of Egypt. She also went up from the land of Egypt. Not always when you go down, you go up. So Sarah went down. She went down to the land of Egypt. Not only physically, but she went down spiritually to very low places in Mitzrayim, and she was able to elevate out of there. How do we know she was able to elevate out? Because the Torah says clearly, Vayal Avram, Avram went up from Mitzrayim, who? Himself, Vishra and his wife. So because Sarah Imenu, the Zohar says, was able to go down into Egypt, but also to be able to come out of Egypt, be elevated out of Egypt. So the, so the Zohar says, Begin kach, because of this, she merited to great life. That's what the Zohar says. And the Zohar continues, and because she went down, and she went up, so therefore she merited very, very high spiritual life. So therefore the Zohar says, and this life was her life. It wasn't just she reached a very, very high spiritual life, but that became her life. That was That's what Sarah became. So based on this, the Rebbe Rashab explains why it says again, like the question we asked before. Why? Because it was the life of Sarah. What is that referring to? That's referring to like the Zohar. So she went down, she went up. So she merited very, very high level of life. When it says at the end of the verse, is referring to the fact that the, the life, this elevated life that she merited became her life. And like later on in the Chassidic Discourse, Rebbe is going to explain the difference between the two. But you see there's two concepts. One is that she merited a high, very high life. And the second component based on the Zohar is that the life was her life. 
So the Rebbe asks now another question. We have to understand. In other words, what are we saying? The second Chaye Sarah is referring to the fact that the life, this high level life, became her life. Based on the Zohar, the way the Rebbe Shab explains it. We know Rashi says, why does it say Shnei Chaye Sarah? Rashi gives a simple reason. That the reason why it's called Shnei Chaye Sarah is because when you go through life, you have ups and downs in life. You have high points, low points, in between points. By Sarah Imenu, Shnei Chaye Sarah, the whole life was Kulam Shavim Latayra. The whole life was great. That's what Rashi explains why it says the second time Shnei Chaye Sarah. So again, so we have the Zohar. The Rebbe Shav explains based on the Zohar that what does it mean it was her life. This great life became her life. And Rashi says it was all good. So Rebbe says, what's the connection between do, these two different insights into the same, the same, same, in the same verse? Why it's repeated? So Rebbe said he's going to understand this based on the idea that we know that all the stories in the Torah, and we know Torah comes from the word of Hayra is a lesson. Every single story in the Torah is a lesson for every single Jewish person. Not just for somebody or for the elitists or for simple people. The Torah is a lesson for every single person. And especially when you're talking about stories and actions of the Avois, Avram Yaakov, the Imois, Sar Rivka and Rachel and Leah, which is a, 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 um, a sign and it gives power and strength for the children. Up until today, we're all the children of the Avais and the Imois. Why is that? Because since they're the Avais, they're the patriarchs, the Imois and the matriarchs of all the Jewish people, so therefore everything that they went through and all their spiritual work comes down to us as an inheritance. We get it all as a gift. So based on that, when the Torah tells us the story of the life of Sarah, and like Rashi explains that all her whole life was good, so that's a lesson for every single one of us that our life, our whole life should be good from the beginning till the end and everything in between. Just like Sarah had, it's that we should have it too. We're, we're one of her grandchildren. So Rebbe says, one second, that, what are we saying? That we, or our life is great from the past, present, and future. But the, the, the question is, the, when someone says, you know what, let's learn about Sarah, and we learn from Sarah that the whole life is good. So that's a lesson how from here on and the future life should be good. How does that help me for the past? You can say, let's be inspired from Sarah, it should all be good. Fine, so from now on we're going to make sure life is great. From now on, this is the present and the future. How do you deal with the past? And there is especially, we all know, what our, our, everyone knows personally of our own past. And what we did last night and the night before. And the days before. And even mistakes that we made by accident. Which obviously is coming from the fact that unfortunately our animal soul got the better of us. So how can we say that the lesson is that all our life, even something in the past, that we were not conscious about this, is all for the good. The fact is the past we do have. Everyone has like a little shady past. Issues in the past that weren't necessarily perfect. So Rabbi explains the truth is as follows. You know there's something which is called tshuva. Someone does something wrong, so you repent. Now there's different levels in repentance. But one of the levels of repentance is when a person repents and turns to Hashem with ava, with love. So when a person does tshuva, when a person re- <coughs> repents out of ava, out of love for Hashem, will you have the power to change the past. So regular tshuva means you did something wrong. Okay, God, forgive me. 
From now on, we're going to go on, on the great path. When a person returns to Hashem with Ava, with love, you literally transform the past. So since we have the power to change the past by returning to Hashem in a way of love, so therefore it's in the power of every single individual, even someone that sinned, and even someone that has a blemish in the past, and he went off the, he went off the beaten path, and he went off the path. But the fact is, everybody can change the past, even of the past, and it can be good. Why? By returning to Hashem out of love. He see the power of truth out of love. So based on that, the Rebbe explains the connection between the two insights of Shnei Chai One is that she merited great life, but it was her life, like the Zohar says. And the second one is that they were all good, like Rashi says. What's the connection? Because the fact is, everything in this materialistic world, where does it come from? It comes from a spiritual level. Anything that happens in this world comes from it's taking place on a spiritual level as well. Now, since Sarah Imenu, it was her life, referring to what was her life, this high-level life, spiritual, godly life was her life down in this world. So therefore, so it wasn't just on a spiritual level. It's the, like the Zohar says, the line was her life down here, literally in a physical level. Materialistic life was on a very, very high level. And what does that mean practically? That the life was her life. What does that mean? That means she, was, she became a balabayas. She became responsible for her life. And she was in control of her life. So sorry, Imenu, when the Zuri says it was her life, means that this powerful Chayini Loin, the super life that she was able to reach, a spiritual life, a godly life, it became a real life. She took charge of her life in a real way. Now, since sorry, Imenu took charge of her life, therefore we, every one of us, can take charge of her life. And what does that mean practically? That our whole life, even the past, should be ours. And we should be in charge of our life, present, future, and also the past. And because we're able to take charge of our life, so and we're able to try, take charge of our life and return to Hashem with Ava, so therefore it's possible that all our life, present, future, and even the past could be good. So there it connects the two, that when you take control of your life, and you bring the powerful godliness into your life, and you return to Hashem with Ava, so then it's your life, you're in control of your life, but more importantly, you're literally able to change the past, and then kulam shavim latoyba, our whole life, is for the good. <clears throat> so based on this, Rebbe explains something very, very powerful, but it says in Tanya. You know, in Tanya, the writes about the Bainani, the intermediate person. So the Altar writes as follows. You have a tzaddik, a righteous person. You have a wicked person. You have the Bainani. The Bainani is someone that struggles, but nevertheless, even with the struggle, he stays on the path. And the Altar says every single person as great and as strong and as hardy as struggles and challenges in life, everybody could be a Bainini. At any moment, at any time, anyone could be a Bainini. Because a Bainini doesn't mean that you're totally transformed, you have no inkling for anything negative. It means you do, but you're controlling yourself. A Bainini is someone that controls himself. Thought, speech, and action. It's a high level. But the Alphabet says, everyone could be a Bainini. So I'm ask the question one second. <clears throat> How does the Alphabet define a Bainini? The other way that finds a bainni is that you never sinned. And you were never considered a wicked person or Russia. Even for a second. Your whole life. So that's, that's the definition of a bainni in Tanya. 
So based on that definition, the Rebbe says, how is it possible that every single person, even someone that sinned in the past, in the past could be a Bainani? The author was saying is anyone could be an Abedini. But Abedini is also someone that never sinned. But he said anyone could be Abedini. means everybody could be Abedini. What do you mean everyone could be? Someone that has a, 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 has a past of, of, of any type of sin, he was a Russia at some point, how could he be Abedini? If, if you're taking that Abedini in the past never sinned. So based on this, Trevor explains very beautifully, he says like this. Because just like when it comes to doing a mitzvah, so we know the, the Rambam writes clearly, in, in, which is a, a book of halacha, that every single person has the ability to do mitzvahs and there's no one that can stop you. If a person decides they want to do a mitzvah, there's nobody and nothing that can stop you. You can do the mitzvah. You can stop yourself, but nobody can stop you from doing a mitzvah. Or if you want to stay away from transgressing a negative precept, no one can stop you. We have the power to do any mitzvah we want to do. That's in reference to all the mitzvahs. And the Rebbe says it applies also to the mitzvah of tshuva. Tshuva, returning to God, is also a mitzvah. That means every single individual has freedom of choice to fulfill the mitzvah of tshuva. That means anybody and everybody, even if you sin on whatever level, and you decide one day, I want to return to Hashem, guess what? No one can stop you. If you decide that you want to return to Hashem, you do tshuva right now. And guess what? You return to Hashem. Baal tshuva and life is good. You're totally plugged in with Hashem. So we have the power, everyone has the power to do any mitzvah, and everyone has the power to do the mitzvah of tshuva. Now, Jehovah says, take it a step deeper, that the choice that we have to do the mitzvah of tshuva, of returning to Hashem, is actually, that is even more stronger than all the mitzvahs. Why is that? Because tshuva is a, this, this, this specific mitzvah, like it's called a mitzvah prati, and tshuva is a mitzvah klali, it's a general mitzvah. So because it's a general mitzvah, that means it's a stronger mitzvah. When Hashem gives you a mitzvah to do, He also gives you the power to do it. We have to access it, but you have the power. So tshuva is a bigger mitzvah, because it's more, it's more of a powerful mitzvah, it's a general mitzvah, so there's more, more powerful and more energy available to do the mitzvah. That's one reason. Also, because the fact is, Every single Jewish person wants to do the mitzvahs. Ask any person in a quiet moment, in a sane moment, sure, I want to do all the mitzvahs. Why would I want to transgress? Why wouldn't I want to have a good relation with Hashem? Say, so, A, I want to do the mitzvahs. B, I don't want to transgress. So why do, why do people why do people don't do the mitzvah? Why do they transgress? Because unfortunately, the Sahara took charge and invaded. You have like almost like a virus. It's called the Sahara virus that doesn't allow you to do the mitzvah. You can still overwit, you can still overcome the Yitzhahara. But the point that I was saying is every person wants to do the mitzvahs, every person does not want to transgress. Unfortunately, the Yitzhahara sometimes takes over. But the fact is, you can do it. Now, so what happens when a person was doing a, a, a sin? And so you're not doing a mitzvah, or you're doing the opposite of what you shouldn't be doing. So, <clears throat> is that according to your real will? No. Your real will is, a person's real will is to do the mitzvah and not transgress. When you're, when you're not doing the mitzvah or you're transgressing, it's not your real will, it's an external will. Because internally, internally when a person sins, deep down in a, a person sins, you have remorse. And it bothers you. And you're a little not comfortable with it. Why? Because that's not who you are. 
So therefore, there is something very powerful. While a person is sinning, or while a person is missing an opportunity to do a mitzvah, and internally you're already doing you're already doing tshuva, because internally you're not comfortable with it. Externally, you might look like you're having fun, but internally it's bothering you. So at, this, at the moment that a person's sinning, at that moment, your internal self is already doing tshuva. Now, so therefore, <clears throat> nobody can stop you from doing tshuva. And when it comes to tshuva, no one can stop you more than if you want to do a mitzvah. Why? Because you internally you want to do tshuva while you're sinning. <clears throat> also, take it a step deeper. When you want to do the mitzvah of tshuva, you don't have to do a physical act or something new. All you have to do is just reveal the tshuva that's inside of you. When you want to do a mitzvah, you have to go do the mitzvah. Until you don't do it, you didn't do it. Tshuva already, when a person transgresses, 50% of the tshuva is already happening. Why? Because the internal self is doing tshuva. When you want to do tshuva, you're doing the other 50%. You're taking it from the internal part and bringing it out to the external part. So tshuva is in a certain way easier. Why? Because there's more strength to do tshuva. And you're already doing tshuva. You're just revealing the tshuva that you're doing already. So based on this, Rebbe explains, that's why any person could be a bainani at any time you want. You become a bainani of Tanya. Any moment. Why? Since we have freedom of choice to do tshuva, and... What's the highest level and what's the com- what's the complete tshuva? Is not tshuva from Yira because you're afraid of Hashem. It's tshuva from Abba. That's the complete tshuva. That's the highest level of tshuva. So every person could do tshuva, and you can do it on the highest level. You can do tshuva from Abba. And when you do tshuva from Abba, what did we learn before? That totally eradicates the sin from before. There's no sin when a person turns to Hashem with tshuva from Abba. There's no past. There's no negative past is gone. So therefore, a per, every person could be a bainani that never did a sin in his life. I he did, tshuva v'yava wipes it out. And every person could do tshuva. And that's why the author writes in Tanya clearly that any person could be a bainani at every moment, because any person could do tshuva and will do tshuva. And this way you totally take away the whole past. So now there is bringing it back full circle to what we spoke about before. Travis is now adding more of an explanation of the connection between the two insights into why it says Chai Yisar at the end of the verse. One hand, one hand, the Zoya says, the Lohain, it was her, it was her years, it was this high level of Chayna became her years, and also Kulan, Shavon, Latoyver, they're all good. Each one is connected with the other one. In other words, we, we, what we learned before, that Shnei Chai means what? They were all, they were all, they were all good, and in there, is connected to be that they're hers because it was her life. Therefore, it was all good, like we explained right before. We were before, but now there was going saying a step further. Even even the the inside of kulam shavon latoyba, where it's all good, is also connected to the fact that what that it's her life. And they were explained as follows. <clears throat> now we're going to go into a kabbalistic journey about sorry Menu. The Rebbe says like this, and he brings from the from the mind of the Rebbe Rashab. So he explains that Sarah, on a spiritual level, on a Kabbalistic level, who is Sarah Imenu? On a spiritual level, Sarah is the level of, in the spheroids, we have 10 spheroids, she's the 10 sphere, she's the sphere of Malchus, kingdom. And matter of fact, that's why she's called Sarah. Because Sarah comes from the word of Srara. She's like, she's in charge, she's a ruler, like a king. So Sarah is connected to the sphere, which sphere? The sphere of Malchus. Now, 
So Sarah is Malchus on a spiritual level. Now we said in the Zoya says that what? That Sarah merited Chayin Eloim. Because she went down and she went up, she merited high, a higher level of life. So what is the what is the higher level of life if she's Malchus? So obviously it's a Svirot which are higher than Malchus. So Sarah is Malchus. And by going down and going up, she married, merited the higher spirit, the higher spirit of Malchus. Now, so that's again, Sarah was Malchus, and she merited the higher sphere of Malchus, the six meters, and so on and so forth. Okay. But based on what we know, the Rebbe says, or it's known, and the Rebbe Shab also explains in the discourse, what's the source of Malchus? So it's interesting. Malchus is the lowest sphere. She merited the higher spheres. But the source of Malchus, its source, is actually higher than the source of all the spheroids. So you have all the spheroids, and then you have Malchus the lowest, but the source of Malchus is higher source than the source of all the spheroids. Why? Because the source of all the spheroids is in where? Is in Kesser, the lower level of Kesser, like we discussed many times, there's two levels, is Attic and Arich. So the source of all the spheroids is in Arich, the lower level of Kesser, and the source of Malchus is called Reishis the Loisiada, the beginning which is not known. So again, all the spheroids, the source is in Arach, which is part of Kesser, and Malchus, the source is Reishis the Loisiada. Now, what did Sari Mene do? She drew down the spheroids into Malchus, up to the point that when she drew down the spheres into Malchus, they became one with Malchus, up to the point, she lit, no, she was Malchus, the spheres got in, internalized with her with Malchus, and she lived with the spheres within Malchus. So what happens now like this? Sarah is Malchus. She draws in the spheres into Malchus in a, in a unified way. So what happens is the spheres themselves get elevated. How do the spheres get elevated if they're higher? Because since Malchus, the Shoyrish, is higher in Rashis the Loisyada, so when she draws down the spheres into Malchus, so the revelation of Rashis the Loisyada, which is much higher than the source of the spheroids, comes into the spheroids. So by Sarah creating Chayini Loin, by bringing in the spheres into Malchus, she actually elevates the spheres as well. And by elevating it, then you actually they become infused and they become one with all the spheroids and that's how you have kulam shavim they're all equal because normally spheroids are higher than malchus but when she infused them in to malchus now they become unified and then she brings into the spheres from a higher level so now they become kulam shavim all the spheroids are one so that's why the Rebbe says, very, very powerful, deep stuff. That's why the Rebbe says, when it says, it was the life of sorrow. <clears throat> so it says specifically, Meya Shana, a hundred years, Ve'estrum Shana in twenty years, Ve'shava Shanim and seven years. Now, when it says at the end, Shnei Chaye Sara, it doesn't say a hundred and twenty-seven, it just says life of Sarah. In the first half of the verse, when she reaches the high levels, it says 120 and 7. But at the end of the verse, it doesn't say anything about 120 and 7. Why? Because the high, the high level of life, which is referring to the spheres, which is higher than Malchus, the way they stand on their own, <clears throat> and also the way they actually come into Malchus, 
But obviously they're connected to the level of Chayin, Chayin on the high level of life and Malchus. So what happens is that they're separate. They're separate. No, she married at Chayin Elohim. So the spheres are still standing as separate and distinct spheres. In other words, they're divided up into different spheres. And generally speaking, if it's divided, the spheres are divided up, so it's divided into three categories. The hundred, the twenty, and the seven. <clears throat> but when they get unified with Malchus, Shnei Chai the Lohavim, when they become unified, and she draws in Rachel Lysiada, so then what goes into the spheroids is the revelation of the source of Malchus, which is Rachel Lysiada, which is higher than Ischalkus. So the Zerb explains very powerfully, he says like this. In, let's go back. It says by you, Chai It was the life of Sarah. Referring to she reached, she was able to reach a high level of life, which is what the spheroids. But the spheroids are 120 and 7, the way they divided up. Once they became her life, it means everyone got internalized with real malchus. All the spheroids got infused with malchus, they became unified, and they got connected to the source of Rashi's Laisyada. Over there already, it's all one. And therefore, it doesn't have to repeat and say 127. Now he doesn't have to. It's not about a, it's not about division of 120 and seven. It's about all one. Shnei Chayisar. It's all one. It's total unity. Now, <clears throat> so it's a deep concept that what Shnei Chayisar means. Once the spirits which are distinct become into Malchus, they get unified and they connect to the Yada, and therefore Shnei Chayisar all as one big party, as one unified party. So Rabbi's going to explain this in deeper, and he says like this. <clears throat> when we say that what? That when we come to Shnei Chayisar, it means when the spheroids come into Malchus, and they're connected to the source of Rosh Hashanah, it's all one. So Rabbi says it exists on two levels, in two components that it's all one. What does that mean? So one is that you see clearly, the Torah doesn't again say 127, which means it's not divided up into the three parts of 100, it's not divided up into 20, it's not divided into 7, like we explained before. That's point number one. More than that, Deborah says, even when you divide up into the three parts of 100 and 20 and 7, now even though we're dealing with general ideas, 100, 20 and 7, but nevertheless, even though it's a general idea, but the fact is, there's a certain number to it. There's a number of 100, there's a number of 20, a number of 7, so on a concealed way, at least, you have different divisions. Division of 100, division of 20, division of 7. Now, on the other hand, when it comes to Shnei Chayisara, there's no number, not even a number of 120 and 7. Why? Because it's it not only it doesn't have the difference of the spheroids, it doesn't even have divisions of sections. Because when you read Shnei Chayisara, it's beyond dividing things up in, in parts. Even the way it's in a general part. Notice, not only is there no specific divisions of every sphere separate, but you don't even have generalizations in Shnei Chayisar. It's totally unified. So Drebbe is going to explain this idea more in a, in a specific way, in a deeper way. And he says as follows. <clears throat> we know it's brought down in many, many places in Chassidus, that when it says a hundred years, what is that referring to? It's referring to the level of Kesser, the highest sphere, not Atik, the higher level, the lower level, Arich. In other words, when you say a hundred, that's referring to Kesser, the lower level, Arich. Because why? Because in Kesser, 
you have all the spheroids, that's 10, but all the spheroids where they intertwine one with the other, so 10 to the square is 100. So in Keser, the lower part, Arich, even though it's a one sphero, it's a part of a sphero, but since it's a, it's Kesser, it's 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 a it's makiv. So you have in there the complete number of a hundred. It means all the ten spheres and every way every sphere is intertwined with the other. Now, so that's the number a hundred. Number a hundred is connected to what the Kesser? Now, so if that's the case, what are we saying? What does a hundred represent? It represents a hundred spheres. Yeah, they're intertwined. Ten into ten, a hundred. So if that's the case, one second. Hakamet says Maya. If it's a hundred, a hundred is a lot, big number. So it should say shanim, plural, years. She lived a hundred years, but it doesn't say a hundred years plural. It says shana, singular. She lived a hundred singular year. If it's a hundred, it's years, and if it's shana, it's not maya. So what, why does it say? But it was a hundred years. So why does it say shana singular? So Rebbe gives there's two explanations. One explanation is as follows. Because when you divide up the spheroids, for example, Chachma, Bina, etc., that's talking about the revealed spheroids. This is Chachma, this is Bina, and so on and so forth. However, when it's connected in its source, in the source, for example, the spheroids, which is basically Kesra, as we said before, in Arich, so over there it's all one. When you have Chachma, this is Chachma, this is Bina. But when it's sitting in Kesra, it's all one. So since it's all one, so therefore it says Meyashana. Again, so why does it say Meyashana, even though it's a hundred? Because even though they're, they're, they're separate spheres, when they're bundled together, they're unified. So when they're unified, you say the term Shana. That's one reason. But Jeremy goes in a step further and he says as follows. Because we know in Kesser, there's Arich, which has all hundred. The higher level of Kesser is Atik. That's the higher level of Kesser. Over there in Atik, there's no ten spheres at all. In other words, it's not even it's not even the source for the spheroids. So in Arich, it's a hundred means all the spheroids are there in a unified way, and you have a hundred. In Arctic, there's no spheroids. It's not even the source of spheroids. It's much it's much more pure. Now, but the fact is, the revelation of Arctic, the power and the energy of the Arctic, the higher level of castle gets gets infused into Arich. So even the spheroids which are all unified in Arach, the lower level of Kesser, which is a hundred. So over there, they're on the level of Shana. So the observer is playing two reasons. One reason is why it says Shana, because even though it's a hundred spheres, but it's a package. It's one, it's a package of a hundred. Another reason never says is because since Atik is totally one, and Atik and Arach are related, and Atik, so to speak, is shining into Arach, so therefore it loses its identity of each one sphere, and that's why it says Shana. That's one reason. So that's in reference to why it says Shana is singular when it comes to when it comes to a hundred. Either because referring to Arach as a package, one package, so therefore it's one package as Shana, or because Atik shines into it. Now that it goes on further. <coughs> Esrim, when it says 20, so it also says Shana. It says singular for year. Now we know that what does Esrim represent? It represents Chachma, the first in, first intellectual sphere, and Bina the second one. And so why is it 20 if it's only 2? Because the way, since Chachma is, is intertwined with all the spheres, and Bina is intertwined with all the spheres, so each one, Chachma to its power is 10, Bina to its power is another 10, so you have 20. But nevertheless, it says Shano singular. Why does it say singular? And the answer is because we know it's put on the Zohar many, many places, that Chachma and Bina are two friends that don't separate. For example, if you have Chachma, so you have Bina. 
If you have Bina, obviously it has, it has coming from Chachma. So Chachma and Bina are the ones that get along in a very, very powerful way. There's no separation between Chachma and Bina. Because if you have ideas and you have no Bina, what are you going to do with ideas? If you, if, and, what, and if you have Bina, what are you developing without Chachma? So Chachma and Bina are two friends that are never separated. And therefore, since they're always one, so even though this is Chachma and this is Bina, and, and each one's in the power, so it's 20, but nevertheless, since they never separate, therefore we say the idea of what? Of Shana. Now, but on the other hand, when it comes to the seven emotions, that re- the, the, the seven is referring to the seven emotions, and over there it says, yeah, Sheva Shonim, plural. Why? Because emotions, that's already, each each emotion is like its own blessing. There's Chesed, and there's Gvura, and there are opposites, and the Ferris, and that's a Chod Yisoy, the Malchus, each one is its own emotion. Now, so based on this, Sheva says, we'll understand the uh, why, when it comes to Shnei Chai there's no number. Why? Because when it comes to Shnei Chai it's even higher than Meya, which is a, a Lashen Yachid, the way, it, you know, the singular, the way it would be in Arach. But even according to the explanation, the second explanation, that Shana is referring to the, the way, the way Atik shines into, Atik shines into Arach, but when it comes to Shnei Chai it's even higher than that. So as high as the unity of of, of Arach is, Shnei Chayisar is higher, even the way Atik comes into Arach, and that's why Shana, Shnei Chayisar is much more powerful, represents a higher level of unity. So the Rebbe says he's going to explain this based on what it says in, in the in the, uh, in the discourse of the, of the Rebbe Rashab that we find something unique, interesting. So again, just to recap, so we'll not, we won't be talking about. Malchus again, Shnei Chayisar is totally one. Okay, so and it's even higher than the level of what? Of Arich and Atik, etc. So now the Rebbe is going to explain this. And he says like this. The Rebbe Hashab explains that when you look at the sphere of Malchus, which again, Sarah is represented by Malchus. Malchus is connected to Sarah. There's two components, but opposite components. Malchus represents two opposite components. What are the two opposite components? On one hand, we know that Malchus, kingdom, is arrogance, elevation. It's something. The king is somebody. It's a something. So Malchus represents elevation, arrogance, yesh, an existence, etc. Nevertheless, even though Malchus represents yesh, something, but the fact is, Malchus is humility. Malchus is humility. So it has two two opposites. Malchus on one hand is a yesh, it's a king, but on the other hand, the true king is, is humbled. And the Rebbe Shal explains as follows: What if Malchus is the king and it's arrogance? What's where's the where's the humility come from? So Rebbe Shal explains very simple. What do we say? What's the source of Malchus? Racist, the loyisyada, higher than even the source of the series. So since the source comes from a very very high place, which is obviously high, referring to closely on a very very high spiritual level. So therefore, from when you look at Malchus, on one hand, Malchus, is, yeah, it's something. But since Malchus is connected to its source, and the source is Rashi's Laisyada, so therefore it's able to have a bittle, a humility, essential humility. Not a not an not a functional humility, but in essence it's really humble. The true the true Melech is really to its core is really humbled. And when the, when you have real humility to its core. So then even the arrogance is humbled. So again, Malchus has two components. On one hand, it's a something, it's a yesh. 
But on the other hand, it's humble, but humble to its core. And when it's humble to its core, so the yesh, the existence, can also be humbled. What does that mean practically? This is a deep concept. But we're not learning just Kabbalah just to go on to, off to the skies. We want to know how does it help us in our life in a practical way. So Rebbe explains this in a very, very practical way. In, Hebrew, in Kabbalah, when you deal with practicality and transformation, it's called avoido. This is how we serve Hashem. So Rebbe says, all based on the Chesed discourse in Rebbe Hashab, that when a person serves Hashem, a person has to be key. In order to be serve Hashem, you have to be tzrichaliyos. You have to be besimcha dafka. You have to be happy. If you want to serve Hashem, yeah, you can check things off the list. Functional, yeah, you got, you did it. But if you want to serve Hashem, you want to be an evad Hashem. You want to be connected to Hashem. You have to have simcha. You have to have joy. Why? Because it says clearly, if do es Hashem besimcha, we're at, we're commanded to serve God with joy. So again, when it comes to serving Hashem, what's a prerequisite to serve Hashem is to be happy. Up to the point, as we know, that serving Hashem with joy, with simcha, is a huge foundation in mysticism and in living a holy life and a godly life. So if you want to serve Hashem, you want a relationship with Hashem, simcha is key. Simcha will bring you to avoid Hashem. Simcha is avoid Hashem. You want to serve Hashem, simcha is key. And like the Rebbe brings, it's known, the, uh, the uh, explanation of the Arizal, the big Kabbalist, and the Altar brings it down in Tanya, based on the verse, in the Torah where it says, Tachas, all the curses that happened, happened for one reason. You know why all the terrible things happen? The reason is because you did not serve Hashem, B'Simcha. Not because you didn't serve Hashem. Because you didn't serve Hashem with, with joy. And we know the author explains in Tanya at length what the, the teaching there are results that means that what does that mean you didn't serve Hashem with Simcha? But it means that let's say, for example, in life you're excited about something. Whatever it could be, something materialistic, physical. And if you didn't serve Hashem with a joy greater than that, that's not called serving Hashem with Simcha. That means our greatest joy, our greatest Simcha, our greatest satisfaction has to be from serving Hashem. That's the insight of the Arizal in that verse. Now, <clears throat> there it brings some Torah from the Alter Rebbe that says, and this is a very, very powerful, important component of mysticism, that this that we know that the Arizal, the big Kabbalist, merited to Ruach HaKodesh. He had a Holy Spirit he was able to connect to. That what caused him to merit that was Simcha Shal Mitzvah. That means when he did a mitzvah, he didn't just do it functionally. Yeah, you can do a mitzvah, you did it. Or you don't transgress, fine, you didn't transgress. Wonderful, and it's great, keep on doing that. But the, what, if you want to merit Ruach HaKodesh, you want God to talk to you, you want to hear God, you want to be connected on a spiritual level, on a godly level, when you do a mitzvah, you got to do it with simcha. When you're, when you're, tra- when you're avoiding tr- transgressing, do it with simcha. When you want to do something you shouldn't be doing and you don't do it, don't do it begrudge. Okay, God doesn't let me. No, I'm so happy I can serve God and not do what I, what I wanted to do. I'm so happy that I can do this mitzvah, whether it's kashras, whether it's Shabbos, whether it's um, tefillin, mezuzah, whatever you're doing, do it besimcha. You'll get to see divine inspiration. The Arizal, he married Ruach HaKodesh because he did the mitzvah with simcha. So you see that when it comes to serving Hashem, Simcha is key. And not only Simcha is key, it will bring you to the greatest places. 
And Rebbe says, since this is a story in the Torah, Torah Shemal Peh, in the oral part of the Torah, and we know that the Torah is all about teaching us a lesson, so it's a lesson for every one of us. We want to merit Ruach HaKodesh, do the mitzvah of Simcha, and you'll have all the answers. You'll see God Himself. However, so obviously Simcha is, is the way to go. The only way to go. But nevertheless, Rebbe says, there are certain times that you have to be happy. You have to always be happy. But the happiness has to be in a concealed place. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it's covert. But there's times that the simcha has to be internally. Like, for example, Rebbe brings the verse that says, If do is Hashem begira. There's times you have to serve God in a awe. You're in awe of Hashem. The gilui knows what should be in a revealed way. You're rather, you're, you're, you're in trepidation for Hashem. Another in a revealed way, you're in awe of Hashem. You're, you're, you're experiencing like fear for Hashem, and a high level of fear. So what, why you have, to, you have to always serve Hashem with, with joy? And the answer is, no, no, this makes it clear. Joy doesn't go away. It stays concealed. In a revealed way, you're in awe. In a revealed way, you're, wow. But inside, Simcha has to always be there. So generally speaking, Simcha is always outside. But times you have to be in awe, times which is a serious moment, the joy has to be from within. Why is that? And never explains. Because what happens is sometimes when the simcha, when the joy is revealed, and it's a joy that's felt, a, a, a joy that's felt, it's possible that it, it can go into an effect and become a little arrogant. So no simcha, you have to always be. But what happens if you don't, if you, if you, let's say you're supposed to be awe, and instead of having awe, you're just happy in a revealed way. So that awe, that, because you're lacking the awe that doesn't keep it focused in the right spot, you can become arrogant. And what happens when a person becomes arrogant? Arrogant, You can end up doing the wrong things. Terrible things. Why? And it came from a good place. You were happy. But when you're supposed to be happy in a concealed way and you're in a revealed way, it'll bring you arrogance and you end up doing terrible things. So therefore, there are times you have to have years Hashem. No, no, no. Hey, I'm not messing with Hashem. I'm an Ov Hashem. I don't want to lose the connection. So therefore, Begilu, there are times you have to have Ov Hashem. There are times you need Ov Hashem. Ava is one, one wing, as we know, explained Tanya, and Yira is another wing. So if what happens when you're supposed to have Yira, you're having Ava, it's a problem. Why? Because it can lead you, as the says, to terrible places. So, but the point I was making is, even when you have years Hashem inside, you have to have Simcha. Now, <clears throat> so in order that the simcha should be in a revealed way, and as we said, we're, we don't want to make we want to make sure that God forbid that the that the simcha, the joy, shouldn't bring you to become arrogant, and that can lead to terrible places. So in order for that to happen, here's the fine art. Again, so this is key. Simcha you have to always have. There are times you have to have yira. Why? Because if you have simcha in a, in a revealed way, you might end up doing the wrong things because of the arrogance. So therefore you have to have yira. But simcha has to always be. But the fact is, since simcha, knows the pro at simcha is amazing. You're living a happy life. The con is, it builds arrogance. And then you can do the wrong things. So in order to make sure the simcha keeps you in the right place and you don't fall off the path, so to speak, God forbid, coming from a simcha place, a person has to be bottle, humble, but be'etzim, in its source. Not an external humility. In in your essence, you have to you have to you have to you have to be accepting for Hashem. So then, what happens is, even when you're feeling a little arrogant, you're doing it with, with humility. Arrogant with humility is not going to get you any bad places. 
So you want to have simcha, but you want to have bittel. And when you have bittel, so therefore the arrogance won't affect you. It's not going to be, it's not going to be real, tangible arrogance that will reach, reach you to the wrong places. Like the Rebbe says, this is just like we explained that malchus, on one hand, is the king, which is arrogance. But nevertheless, since the source of malchus is weir, so it has bittel be'etzim. So on one hand it has the elevation, it has the fact that it's a king, but on the other hand it has the what? The idea of, of, of bittel. So based on this, Herbert explains beautifully and he says as follows. When we say that Sari Menu, she reached Chayini Loin. Wow, that's huge, it's amazing. But nevertheless, what does the Zohar say at the end? But even though she reached this high level, the sphere, she was connected to the sphere, it's a high level, Chayin, high life. But the the, the the important component was the didlohavin. It was hers. Means says it was connected to Malchus. In other words, this that Sari Menu went down to Egypt and she came back up and she merited a high life. How did she reach that? She reached it by being in awe of Hashem, and she was humbled. That didn't come from Simcha. When you go down to Egypt and you're able to come out, it didn't happen because you were Simcha. You were arrogant about it. No, you were humbled. And when you're humbled, you're able to you're able to go through the dips in life. Now, so what happened was the humility caused the elevation. And what did she have? High level of life. Even though she went down. Now, <clears throat> where, did, where, did, where, did she, where did she reach a high, a high level of life? She reached it in her herself in Malchus, but if, because that's who she is. Sorry as Malchus. But that's but this is where Malchus, so to speak, got connected to a higher level, and it's humble to what to the higher spheres of Zod, the small face of six meters, six spheres. And what does it mean practically? That the revelation that you're experiencing from the Midois is in the level of Yira and Bittal, but but it's not a Bittal of who you are. It's a, it's it's Bittal. It's it's like a, a manufactured Bittal. You're working on being humble, but it's not really an essential Bittal. So that is the first level. When Sarimena went down to Egypt, it means she was connected, obviously, on a Chayini line with the Sphiroids, and she was able to withstand it, but, and she had humility, but it was an external humility. But what does it mean when the Zarya says afterwards, the Lohena was hers? That is that the revelation came down into her Malchus, and over there she experienced what kind of bittal, what kind of humility? Essential humility. And therefore, even what was felt in Malchus is true, true humility. So what I'm saying is there's two different levels of humility. There's a level of humility when it's, when it's external. Like if you're going into the space of the Midois, that's all about you know, external self-emotions, so you try to experience humility. In Malchus, it's a much deeper humility. It's essential humility. So based on this, Rebbe explains... The, the quality and the power of the unity, which is in the second half of the verse, which is beh- beh- higher than the different levels of the spheroids, which is, which is expressed by Shnei Chayisara. And over there, it doesn't say a number, not a number of 100 or 20 or 7, etc. Because it's much higher than the number of 100, even though 100 is really all part of one. Why? Because what is the idea of, you, of oneness? You know, it's, even when we say Shana, Lashon Yachid, right? The, the, year, which which are hundred spheres, we're saying it's one. And, those, and that's in the spheres of what we said, the sphere of Kesser. So in other words, that's, that's because, but because a sphere, it has its own identity. 
when it, when it, when it, when it sits in Kesser, so even though it has its own identity, it's humbled. It's humbled in the in in Kesser. But the revolutionary idea of Shnei Chayisar is that even though in Malchus all the spheres come into Malchus, that means Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, all the spheres come in there, and there's, there's specific spheres. And as we know, that it says the the main division of every sphere happens where specifically in Malchus. And that's why they're called, actually, she was able to reach Chayin Elon, she was able to connect everyone to Sphiros, because the Sphiros came into Malchus, but nevertheless, it was the Lohain, she was able to stay strong with Malchus, Shnei Chayisara, which means it was unified in a much higher and deeper level. <clears throat> in other words, in Kesser, even though it's unified, it's not, to- it's, it's not totally disappearing, it's, it's one, but it's still one, it's, it's still a number, and there's still a number there. But however, when it, when it comes into Malchus, what gets revealed is the true level of unity. That even multiple differences, spheroids, uh, the, the, the intellectual, the emotional, um, the, the, way, the way it sits as 20 and 100, it does not contradict to, to Achtas. And you see Shnei Chayisara, it's all one. Even though, again, the spheres are there, because Malchus is bitter, but it could be all one. So it goes on to say as follows. We explained before the connection between the two different insights, two different commentaries in Shnei Chayisar. One was from the Zoyar that said that it was her life. Her life. Malchus was totally her life. And it was all one. In other words, because it was her life, which means, as we explained, she is the in charge of her life. And once you're in charge of your life, you're able to take charge of your life. You're able to do the mitzvah, you're able to turn to Hashem, you're able to do tshuva, and tshuva from Ava. Then what happens is, your whole life becomes one. Because it's all one. The past is gone. So that's what we explained before. Before, before. So never asked a simple question. <clears throat> what does it mean it's her life? You become in charge of your life. And because that kolom shavon otayva. How is that, this, this explanation, go together with the fact that, as we just explained Kabbalistically, that her life means that even the Murgish, even the Yash is humbled. And as we have two now, two insights, one from a simple level, because she's in charge of her life, therefore it's all one because she does tshuva. But now we're saying even f- further, it, it, what does it mean that, that uh, it's her, her life, that even the physical, even the, the Yash is humbled. And that's how you have the, the ultimate fusion. Shreva says you're going to explain this based on what's explained in uh, another place in Chassidus, that what we learn, that when a person does tshuva, when a person returns to Hashem, and you return to Hashem at a level of you love Hashem, so you affect the past. So not only is the present and the future all equal, but even the past becomes equal, because tshuva and change the past. How does that work? Why is that? How can you do that? And the answer is, because what's the source of time? Time is an existence. What's the shayrish? What's the source of time? The source of time is in Malchus. The last sphere of Malchus creates a source of time. Now, so that's on one level. Go even further, higher than Malchus, the past and present and future, backwards and forwards, in all, it, all say the Hishtalshus means in all the level of the flow of the spheres coming down from one world to the next. Now, so in other words, like this time, the source of time is in Malchus. And also in all the in all the levels of coming down through the world. So you have time. However, 
the source of tshuva, what's the source of, a person does something wrong, what do you mean you're doing tshuva, you're repenting? You did something wrong. How can you go ahead and repent? From now on, you're going to be good. But we know Hashem gave the gift of tshuva. That a person can return to Hashem and the past is gone. How? Because the answer is because the source of tshuva <clears throat> is from above Ishtalshalas. It's above all the levels. Any level you can think of, tshuva goes even higher. In other words, when a person does tshuva, the revelation that takes place when you do tshuva coming, is coming from a revelation above Ishtalshalas. So since it's above Ishtalshalas, and time is connected to Yishtal Shalos, which means the flow in the spheres in the worlds. So therefore, tshuva is coming from before time even existed. So once you do tshuva, you're connected to a place where time didn't exist. Therefore, present, past, and future is all the same thing. The whole idea of time comes from Malchus, comes from Yishtal Shalos. But once you connect to above Yishtal Shalos, so then the, then the past, present, and future is all the same thing. Now, but the Rebbe says, one second, I hear you. You say the source of tshuva is above time. But where are you doing tshuva? You're doing tshuva, let's say, in this moment. And this moment is limited to time. And because we today we have, we had a yesterday, we have a now, we have a tomorrow. You're doing tshuva in the present moment. And because you're doing tshuva in the present moment of time, how is it possible that you can do something now that should change the past? How can you change the past in the, in the, in the world of time? But the fact is, Rebbe says, true, right now I'm in time. And let's say I'm doing tshuva right now. So he's saying, how's it changing the past? But the fact is, what am I doing? I'm doing tshuva. And tshuva is not limited to time. So because tshuva, maybe I am in time, and time is here right now, but tshuva is not limited to time. So when a person does tshuva, you draw in the bleagable, the infinite, which is above time, in time. So here's the power. Time is limited. Yes, there's a past, there's a present, and the future. I am living in time. But when I connect to tshuva, I'm drawing in above time, not restricted by time. Time never existed there in the world, in the source of tshuva. And I'm drawing it down into time. While I do tshuva at this moment. In other words, so as if this moment actually happened before. The moment happened before. How is it possible? Again, time, it doesn't make sense. I can't do it. But tshuva has the power to take the place of above time, and therefore when you're doing tshuva, you're sort of going into the past, and it's affecting the past, the present, and the future at once. So based on this, Rebbe explains very powerfully the connection that we say that sorry, meinu, dilaha v'chayin. It was her life. In other words, what does that mean? What do we explain Kabbalistically? What does that mean? That in Malchus, which Malchus represents yesh, king, reality, but nevertheless, Malchus represents humility. That means, in Hebrew, it's called murgish, that what's felt is, hu- is humbled in, in, in its essence, and that you're an owner, you're in charge of your whole life. Why? Because when a person reaches a place that even though, yes, you're living in a physical world, and yes, Malchus, it exists, it's a yesh, etc., it's something and it's limited, but when that is humbled and humbled to the essence, and we said humility, the source of humility goes to Rashis Laisyada, which is higher than any limitations. So then what happens is even in time, you're able to draw in the infinite power the, the, the infinite power of, of beyond time into time. <clears throat> 
So that's how you become a, a balabayis. You become in charge of your time. How do you become in charge of your time? By being having true essential humility, and you see how the two are connected. Now, Rebbe says, one second, this is a very, very high level. What is high level? That on one hand, we're in time, we're in space, and it's something, but the something is totally, totally humbled. That's a very high level. To be, but not to be, that's a high level. We're either here or we're not here. We're here, we're humbled, that's a high level. How do we do that? But the Rebbe says, the fact is, since, as we mentioned the idea in the beginning of Siddiq Discourse, that anything that happened to the Ovois, Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, the Imoi, Sora, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, that is a sign, and it has power, it gives us power and energy for every one of us to do it. And this idea, that Sora Imenu, the law having Chayin, which means, Sora Imenu, on one hand, it was the law, it was her life, she was Malchus, but on the other hand, she was humbled, and this was, she was able to take charge of her life, and she was able to change the past, and therefore it was Kulam Shavon Lataiva, this is a lesson, and we have the power for every single one of us that we could serve Hashem with simcha, a simcha in a revealed way and a way that it's felt. But on the other hand, we're not going to come to the point to become totally arrogant. Why? Because we can have simcha, but we're not going to come. Why? Because the, the 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 part that's felt, we're doing it with humility. So you see that here's the two key components. This is the key to life. Real simcha, but humility. Humility, but real simcha. And when you have those two, guess what? Past, present, and future is all the same. The whole life becomes equal, and life becomes amazing and great. And when a person serves Hashem with simcha, with joy, in generally, and especially when we do the simcha, when we're doing what? We're doing tshuva, when we're returning to Hashem. And as we know, it's brought down in many places that says that when a person has to be besimcha by you do a mitzvah, it's referring even to the mitzvah of tshuva. When you're returning to Hashem, think about it, I did something wrong, so you think it's remorseful, crying, no! Simcha shal mitzvah, being happy when you're doing a mitzvah applies even to the mitzvah of tshuva. And on the contrary, there it says that the, the joy that you have to have with the mitzvah of tshuva is greater than the joy of any mitzvah. And so when we, we do mitzvahs, and especially the mitzvah of tshuva, we do it with simcha, what happens then is that gives us more power and the power to tshuva to change the past. So tshuva changes the past. But when you add simcha to it, you're like adding a turbo engine to the, simcha, to the, to the tshuva. And that changes the past in a super, fa- super amazing way. And Rebbe adds, and he says, we know what it says, the, 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 the explanation what says in Chazal, Tshuva, repentance, umaisim toivim. So generally speaking, the way we read it is, you do tshuva, you do good, you return to Hashem, you do maisim toivim, you do good deeds. But we, the, we know the Hasidic explanation is as follows, that when a person does tshuva, what happens then is, the maisim, the action, the mitzvahs, they become good, and they start shining. And that's why when we do tshuva, it becomes a whole different, a whole different mitzvah. So right, based on Shabbat says that when a person does tshuva, and you do it with simcha, you do it with joy, so then what kind of tshuva do you have? You have complete tshuva, because it's happy tshuva. So that adds in your simcha and your completion, not only the tshuva, but even from learning Torah, and doing other mitzvahs after tshuva. So when a person does tshuva with simcha, so this tshuva is amazing. But that will affect 
you're learning Torah and all your mitzvahs afterwards. And there was this idea that the effect of tshuva that will affect your learning Torah and you're doing mitzvahs, generally speaking, learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, that's, that's, that's a, a, a tzaddik's path, a righteous person path. But the fact is that effect, when a person um, does tshuva and then you learn Torah and do mitzvahs after you do tshuva, so that creates a preparation <clears throat> for the coming of the true and complete Mashiach Tzidkenu. As we know that Mashiach is going to come, what's Mashiach is going to come to do? One of the things he's going to be doing, he's going to inspire tzaddik and righteous people to do tshuva. Why? Because tshuva is very, very powerful. And tshuva will affect even the learning Torah and doing mitzvahs of regular people. And when a person does tshuva, and he does it with simcha, it will affect, in reference to the, 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 to the redemption, which is, going to, which is going to have two components. As we said, it says in the prophets, B'shuva v'nachas tivasheyun. B'shuva is a reference to what? The idea of tshuva. We're going to do tshuva. B'nachas is when things are smooth, which is the avoid of tzaddikim, righteous people. But the reference is literally that all the Jewish people, the older, the younger, the sons, the daughters, the whole, the whole nation of the Jewish people, we're all going to return to Eretz HaKodesh, to the land of Israel. And the way the land of Israel is Eretz Toivar Chava, a good land, a, a, a wide land, the complete land of Israel, together with learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. Because we're going to do tshuva, and we're going to return together with learning Torah and do mitzvahs. Up until the point that the Torah mitzvahs is going to be done with the introduction of tshuva. So tshuva is going to come first. Then we're going to learn Torah and do mitzvahs. Because then the Torah mitzvahs are going to be totally complete. We're going to have the completion of Torah mitzvahs. And the Rebbe says all this is going to happen like we know in reference to tshuva. It's going to happen when in one moment and in one second we're all going to do tshuva. Tshuva with simcha. And we'll all go together to Yerushalayim Ir HaKodesh. Thanks so much for joining us for our great class. A class of simcha, a class of humility, and we should all have a great, happy, and joyous week. Thank you for joining us. Looking forward to seeing you next week, as Rebbe says in your Shalayim Ir HaKodesh.